This is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Luke. And some Sadducees who say there is no resurrection came to Jesus and asked him a question. Teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies, leaving a wife but no children, that man shall marry the widow and raise up children for his brother. Now there were seven brothers. The first married and died childless. And then the second and the third married the widow. And so in the same way, all seven died childless. And finally, the woman also died. In the resurrection, therefore, whose wife will the woman be? For the seven had married her. Jesus said to them, those who belong to this age marry and are given in marriage. But those who are considered worthy of a place in, in that age to come and in the resurrection from the dead neither marry nor are given in marriage. Indeed, they cannot die anymore because they are like the angels and are children of God, being children of the resurrection. And the fact that the dead are raised, Moses himself showed in the story about the bush, where he speaks of the Lord as the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Now he is God, not of the dead, but of the living. For to him, all of them are alive. The Gospel of the Lord. And so, Heavenly Father, as we come to your word, we pray that we would hear not just the words of men, but the words of God. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. I want to take that this morning as my text from Luke's Gospel, chapter 20, verses 27 through 38. Luke's Gospel, chapter 20, verses 27 through 38. If you're making use of the Pew Bible, you can find that text on page 1046. Luke's Gospel, chapter 20, and beginning at verse 27. And this morning I want to talk about life now and the life to come. Life now, or I should say, and the age to come. Life now and the age to come. Indeed, Jesus according, or as I should say, according to Jesus, for the believer, life in the age to come will be an entirely new mode of existence when it's compared with the life that we're now living. Indeed, Jesus says in our text that in the present age, now, people marry and are given in marriage. And, and more people are born and come into existence as a result of those marriages. And by the way, that's a good thing too, because in this age people die and are in need of replacing if humanity is to continue to exist. But then Jesus says that for those who will experience the age yet to come, that is the kingdom of God when it comes in all of its fullness, that that kingdom of God that we pray for, that it might come, that God's will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. In that kingdom, in that age to come, there'll be no more marriage. There'll be no more procreation. And as Jesus says, and this is related to those two things, there'll be no more death. 
Luke tells us in our text that there came to Jesus some Sadducees. Now in Jesus' day, the Sadducees were a major religious sect. Together with the Pharisees that we probably are more familiar with. And the Essenes who were separatists and lived in what we now refer to as the Qumran community. Where they lived there until the time of the Roman destruction in the late first century. But the Sadducees were a major religious sect in Jesus' day. And we might even say perhaps a more a political sect than a religious one that compared to, to the Pharisees. Um, and the Sadducees com being compared to the Pharisees were a relatively small group. But they were rich. <laughs> and they exercised a lot of political power based in Jerusalem. They dominated the Sanhedrin or the council, the, Jewish, the official Jewish council that was based in Jerusalem. This is the same council, by the way, that arranged the death of Jesus. But most of the high priests in the Sanhedrin were of the Sadducees as were most of the members of the Sanhedrin. And Luke tells us that the, that the Sadducees were amongst those who deny the resurrection, that there is such a thing. In fact, sometimes in, in, in recent, more recent centuries, there was this um, uh, common um, claim that people in Jesus' day were... Uh, they all, they, they believed the resurrection because everybody believed in the resurrection. And they, they believed the, that miracles were taking place because everybody believed in miracles. But that's not true. And this is an example of that. Um, the Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection. They didn't believe in a life after death. Even the Greeks believed in life after death. But the Sadducees didn't. They didn't believe in angels. In fact, they basically were more or less materialists and didn't believe in anything that wasn't a material except the existence of God who was the singular exception to that. But the Sadducees were amongst those who deny that there is a resurrection, and Luke tells us that in an attempt to make Jesus look a fool, and everyone who would believe in such nonsense as life after death and the resurrection from the dead, the Sadducees asked Jesus a question. In fact, this is taking place in the last week of Jesus' life, in which he is in the temple every day, and he's teaching from morning till evening. And so they come while he's in the midst of, these, of this teaching and many people are listening. And they thought, well, wouldn't it be great if we make him look like a fool? And discredit him. And send these people packing. And so they asked Jesus a question. In verse 28, they said, teacher... Moses wrote for us that if a, a man's brother dies having a wife but no children, that man must take his brother's widow and raise up offspring for his brother. Well, this seems awfully strange to us. We don't practice that sort of thing. But uh, the circumstances are, are now are very different than they were in Jesus' day and, and for many centuries before that. But the land was given to families and so forth and so if a man uh, died uh, without an heir, uh, that land would be up uh, for grabs. And so this was a way uh, for, uh, to, um, uh, to solve that problem and continue a line of succession uh, from even a man who was married and, and while he was alive did not have children. It's sometimes referred to as Leverite marriage 
which is from the Latin that basically is a reference to one's brother-in-law, <laughs> one's husband's brother. But this is all based uh, in a, a passage from the 25th chapter of Deuteronomy, beginning at verse 5, in which we read this. And this is what the Sadducees are referring to. If a brother dwells, if brothers, I should say, plural, dwell together and one of them dies and has no son, the wife of the dead man shall not be married outside the family to a stranger. Her husband's brother shall go into her and take her as his wife and perform the duty of a husband's brother to her. Leverite marriage. And the first son whom she bears shall succeed to the name of the dead brother that his name may not be blotted out in Israel. Verse 7, And if the man does not wish to take his brothers, this will show you how serious this was, And if the man does not wish to take his brother's wife, then his brother's wife shall go to the gate to the elders of the people and say, My husband's brother refuses to perpetuate his brother's name in Israel. He will not perform the duty of a husband's brother to me. And then the elders of, of, the, of his city shall call him and speak to him. And if he persists, saying, I do not wish to take her, then his brother's wife shall go up to him in the presence of the elders, pull off his sandal from his foot, and spit in his face. And she shall answer and say, So shall it be done to the man who does not build up his brother's house. And the name of his house shall be called, and the name of his house shall be called in Israel, the house of him who had his sandal pulled off. <laughs> then Luke says that the Sadducees presented Jesus with a riddle. We have this principle of Jesus, you know all about it. He doesn't say, no, we don't have such a principle. That's what the Jews did. But then they come up with this um, hypothetical story, but practically a riddle. Verse 29, he says, now they say to him, now there were seven brothers. And the first took a wife and died without children. And so the second brother and the third brother took her, likewise all seven took her, but none of them had any children. Finally, verse 32, the woman died. And so they pose their question relative to the truth of resurrection yet to come. Verse 33, and so in the resurrection, whose wife will she be? <laughs> For the seven had her as a wife. And Luke says that Jesus answered them and said, the sons of this age are people living now, marry and are given in marriage. That's what life is like now. Verse 35, but those who are considered worthy to attain to that age, the age to come, the kingdom, and all of its fullness, and to the resurrection from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, for they cannot die anymore because they are equal to angels and are sons of God, being sons of the resurrection.
And so Jesus says that in this age, people marry and are given in marriage, and the children that are born as a result of these marriages to take the place of those who die. And by such means, in this age, in the present, the present world continues to be populated. In fact, if that wasn't so, we'd, we would just die out. But Jesus says that in the age to come, which will be an experience and a mode of existence that's completely different than what we're experiencing now. In the age to come, the kingdom will be populated by those, Jesus says, who are worthy of it, by those whom God will raise from the dead. In fact, everyone who will, will be a part of the population of the kingdom to come will all be persons who once lived and who experience resurrection or transformation at the very least, according to the Apostle Paul. And Jesus says that in the kingdom there will be no more death. There will be no death. In fact, that was one of the things that uh, Jesus was doing in his ministry. He was, he was showing people what the kingdom was like. He raised the dead. You know why? Because there's no dead. There is no death in the kingdom. He gave sight to the blind. You know why? Because there's no blindness in the kingdom. He raised the lame. You know why? Because there's no lameness. There's no paralysis in the kingdom. It was the Greek playwright Euripides who wrote, death is a debt we all must pay. But that won't be the case in the kingdom. That won't any longer be a debt that any of us will have to pay if our future is in this kingdom that Jesus is describing. Because in the kingdom there'll be no more death. And Jesus says that there'll be no more marriage. There'll be no more procreation in the kingdom. And still Jesus says that the kingdom will be populated. And not only populated from, for short, some short period of time. Commensurate with however long life expectancy is now in this age, but it, the kingdom will be populated everlastingly because those who are raised from the dead will live in it and live in it forever. As the as the as the as the liturgy says, world without end. It will be populated everlastingly by those whom God raises from the dead to populate it everlastingly. As Max Licato said famously, whether you live to be nine or ninety, life in this age is short, but the kingdom of God, what? Lasts forever. Or Shane Claiborne who said, in the kingdom will party like there's no tomorrow. And there won't be. <laughs> And then Jesus speaks directly in this text to the issue of resurrection and life beyond death, which was something that the Sadducees rejected. And they thought they really had them, you know, with the seven brothers and quoting Moses. But Jesus answers their objection by quoting Moses himself. In verse 32. Jesus says, but that the dead are raised, and that that is true, even Moses showed, verse 37, in the passage about the bush. 
In fact, in Jesus' day, they didn't have chapters and verses like we do. I wouldn't have said the story about the bush. I would have said Exodus chapter 3 beginning at verse 6. But they didn't have that. So Jesus just makes reference to Moses and what he said and what he experienced in his experience of the bush. As we know, the burning bush. Where Moses calls the Lord, quote, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Indeed, he's referring to Exodus chapter 3, where we read famously, beginning at verse 1, Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro's, the priest of Midian, his sheep, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness to the, to, and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And an angel of the Lord appeared to Moses in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush, and Moses looked, and behold, the bush was burning, but it wasn't consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight. I can't believe what I'm seeing. Why the bush is not burned. Verse 4, and when the Lord saw that Moses turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am, why bet. <laughs> and then God said, and do not come near. Take the sandals off of your feet for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And God said to Moses, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. This is what Jesus is referring to. And the text continues, And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Notice God did not say, I was the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who had died physically. In fact, they're based upon biblical calculations. Abraham, Isaac, and and Jacob are some four or five hundred years before Moses. And they had died physically. Rather, God says to Moses, I am the God of your fathers. I am now the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Because while Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob may have been dead to the world. They were alive as they are now, alive to God. And when Christ returns to establish his kingdom in all of its fullness on earth, in the age that will come, the dead in Christ will rise. That's what Jesus says. That's what the apostles say in various different contexts. Why did they say it? Because he taught them that. And you know why they believed it? Because on Friday they nailed him to a cross. And when evening was coming and the Sabbath was about to start, the Jews asked the Romans, asked Pilate, to break the, break the legs of those who were being crucified lest the Sabbath be uh, polluted 
and corrupted. And so they came to the, Jesus was crucified with two people, one on either side, and they came to the one and broke his legs, and to the other they broke his legs, but when they came to Jesus, they didn't break his legs. Why? Because he was already dead, and so one of the soldiers who was on duty, crucifixion duty, took his spear and put it up through the ribs into Jesus' heart, and out came, as John described it, both what he would have called blood and water, which is the separation of the blood uh, from the serum, which is a sign of death. But three days later, the apostles saw him alive. They didn't see the resurrection, but they witnessed the resurrected Christ. So when he talked about resurrection, <laughs> they believed him. In fact, that was one of the reasons why they took the risks that they did because no, no matter the threats of their life, you stop preaching and teaching and healing in this name. No matter the threats, they knew that if they were killed, <laughs> they would rise again. And so we read in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, Jesus, are Paul's favorite, fa famous words, to the Thessalonians. He said, but we don't want you to be uninformed brothers and sisters about those who are asleep, our family members, our friends who have know Christ, and, but now they've, they've died. They've fallen asleep, which is a euphemism for death. We don't want you to be uninformed that you might not grieve as other people do who don't have such hope. Verse 14, for since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, he died, he rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. They will rise. For this we declare to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, we who are alive when he comes... We will not precede those who have fallen asleep. We won't precede. We are gathering to him. We won't precede them who have died. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry. Descend, that means he's coming. He's coming here to set up his kingdom. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command. I wonder, you know, what is the cry of command? Is it what, he, what Jesus said to Lazarus? Lazarus, come forth when he raised Lazarus from the dead. The Lord himself would descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. And then we who are alive, who are left, when he comes... We will be caught up together with them into the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. That's what they, what they did in ancient times when a dignitary or a, a king or something was coming to their town or coming back from a journey or coming back from war. The people of the village or the people of the city would run out and meet the dignitary and, and escort them back into the city. And when he comes... This is, what the, this is what the in the is commonly referred to as the rapture, the catching up. We will be caught up, meet him in the clouds, but he's heading this way, and we'll fall in behind him and come and be a part of that 
kingdom yet to come. And then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds and meet the Lord in the air. And so will we always be with the Lord. And therefore, he says, encourage one another with these words. And so Jesus' last remark in our text from Luke chapter 20, Jesus says, For God is not the God of the dead, but the God of the living. And so how about you? Indeed, some of what we have said this morning might seem sort of complicated. But at the heart of it is the central message of the gospel. In fact, what does a text as simple and as popular and well-known as John 3.16, what does it say? For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in the Son should not perish, but what? Have what? Everlasting life. Life that never ends. This is what Jesus is talking about, and this is what the Sadducees don't believe. <laughs> but the Scriptures say, whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. I wonder, do you truly believe have you taken Christ, you yourself, taken Him, received Him, believed in Him, taken Him as your Savior, the one who delivers you from those things that keeps you from having communion with God, those things that keep you from being acceptable in His sight? Have you taken Him as Savior and as your Lord who tells you what to do and where to go and how to do it. He says, follow me. Are you following? And if you haven't ever really made that commitment, no matter what your relationship might be to a religious community like Holy Cross, if you've never really made that commitment, perhaps today is the day, even in the silence of your own heart, as I did many, many, well now, decades ago, and if you do that today, I want to encourage you to tell somebody whenever you get the chance next that this is the commitment that I've made. Maybe it'll be a spouse or maybe it'll be your children or some other person because that's the way it works. It's a story to be told, not a secret to be kept. Amen? Life now and in the age to come. Let us pray. The Sadducees, Lord, were religious and powerful. <laughs> but they didn't believe what the prophets said. They certainly didn't believe Jesus. So Jesus was a great, huge threat to them. <laughs> In fact, uh, Father, you're... Uh, a threat to many of us in this world. You offer us life, but there's things about what you say and what you call us to that just isn't something that fallen people want to do. But when you change our hearts and when you 
bring us into the light so that we can see things as they truly are. When you give us a glimpse of the way you see, which is really what truth is, then these things begin to make sense. And we say yes, we say yes because you open our hearts. And so, Lord, I pray that you would open our hearts and that we would cling to the Son with both of our hands and with all of our heart, even as we say, to love you and love him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and our neighbor is ourself. But if we would love our neighbor the way we should, it all starts with loving you the way we should. Help us to do it, we pray, for our soul's health and for your greater glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.